Welcome to Gotham City. It's an anniversary episode. It's our 60th, believe it or not. And it's the first episode of season two of Batman, the animated series, Sideshow. Welcome to I Am The Knight. Adam, welcome. I Am The Knight. We are here. We have arrived in season two. We have arrived in episode 60. All of the numbers are lining up. Isn't that satisfying? It's just magic. As if we planned it, sort of, kind of. Not even trying to. Nope, we were just sitting down and watching Batman the Animated Series once a week, every week, to cover the classic goodness and the what people say is the most sincere and rounded adaptation of Batman ever, and it's never failed us. Honestly, as a show, it's never failed us. So far, it really hasn't. Another cracker of an episode written by uh, veterans of the show, Michael Reeves and Bryn Stevens, and directed by one of my favourites, Boyd Kirkland. And this story um, manages to do something unheard of. It's a brand new killer cocktail, but it's also a tribute featuring characters from a classic Denny O'Neill's Neil Adams story from the 70s as well. Okay, good, because I was going to say that those characters seem pretty well-developed and well-rounded, like strong designs, so they had to have had some backing somewhere, right? Yeah, well done. I mean, literally, it was a, another fugitive um, tale where Batman was chasing a convict named Wiggins, and he ends up in the freak show, and he treats these people more or less the same way Croc does. This is a Killer Croc episode, by the way, Sideshow, you might have guessed it, but it's based on the classic Danny O'Neill's Neil Adams story, A Vow from the Grave, and... Uh, Again, the way they've updated a classic story for the modern day with a modern villain, it just shows to the talent of these creators and the love they have for the Bronze Age original story. Well, it's amazing that out of the many, many, many Bronze Age stories they could have adapted or retold that they chose one of these ones, it just sort of shows the uh, huge scope and respect that and the changes that Denny O'Neill brought to Batman as a whole. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this uh, one particular story is... a. Uh, quite a memorable and unique one that I'm glad that they did so well. Yeah, that whole um, late 60s, early 70s era has been very well represented in season one and already gained season two of Batman the Animated Series because that's when they reverted from the 50s and 60s high camp comics code authority censored Batman to revert him to the dark archetypal Batman he was created as in the 40s by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. And that's probably why they're still some of the most fondly remembered Batman stories ever. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, powerful nostalgia there because going for that stark change must be quite memorable. But then again, I suppose that's also a thing of the time. In the 70s, a lot of people were coming off of um, a lot of Cold War tension. A lot of media at that time was very uh, fairly dark and fairly bleak. That's why Star Wars was such a revelation. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think um, those kinds of stories were particularly natural, but unlike a lot of those apocalypse movies and westerns of the 70s, I think that shift towards the darkness only really survived well in Batman because that sort of respect to the light and camp of the past, but with an ultimately like darker tone, that's one of the few things from that era of storytelling that's ever really survived. Absolutely. You're so right. And that's the character as he was created and the character in his most popular form even today. But what's very striking is, even though it's one of Batman's darker eras in in terms of his history and his comic stories, this episode has Batman in broad daylight, which is quite jarring, quite effective. And again, I feel like the series has really found its niche. It's looking more polished more well put together, more produced than ever at the beginning of this second season. There was something about this episode, wasn't there? Something yeah. that seemed a little bit more clean, a little bit mm. more 
like polish. I don't know, not to say that it wasn't polished before, but there's something yeah. else to it that I can't quite put my finger on. A certain I don't know what. Yes, but um, that's what the French would say. That's the French would say. <laughs> um, but still, I think it's very effective here, and it really adds to a very high motion, very uh, very visually sound sort of episode as this because we go through those rolling hills and those yeah. mountains and those canyons. So Absolutely. having something with really detailed map painting and things like that would be quite beneficial and it really shows well in this episode. Yeah, and it helps heighten um, Crocs, the way he's, the, the characters he comes across in the forest sympathise with him and take his side against Batman's because they see a man in chains on the run from this big, scary creature of the night. And of course, who are you going to believe? Yep. You believe, usually you believe the first person you meet and the one who seems the most like you. The first person they met was Croc and the first person who appeared to be sort of like biologically other was Croc. Mm -hmm. uh, Batman was very obviously a dude and potentially a very garish sort of ringmaster's outfit. If they were living far away enough from Gotham, they might have believed that he was like that as opposed to the figure in the news. Absolutely. And what a wonderful bunch of one-time-only supporting characters. I love this story as a child. It's a favourite, which is why as soon as I saw um, Billy the Seal Boy, who's actually called Flippy in the comics, if memory serves, um, I thought, oh, wow, they're adapting. Again, one of the stories that was the most formative for me becoming a comics fan, because I'd gone from Adam West into the darker Batman, and this whole thing of a group of, of, of sideshow um, artists who'd managed to escape that life and retire to the peace in the wilderness. Really, we've all felt like outsiders, especially people in geekdom and nerd culture like us. And I fell in love with these characters on first reading as a child in the 70s, and I've fallen in love with them all over again thanks to this brilliant little one-off episode. There's something very charming about the characters. They're all very well designed. They're all very visually different, which makes them quite good to graft onto. Um... Yeah, so there's some certain charm about them that really draws a viewer in the first time you see them, and the fact that they were adapted so well from the original story yeah. is a great show of respect as well. So yeah, they have that enchanting effect across decades of storytelling, which is a very nice thing about them. So we only really see this group of characters a couple of times. Yeah, well, actually only once, um, and it's a shame because they're great, but... I just want to believe in my own personal headcanon that they lived a long and happy life away from the horrors of society and they carved a niche for themselves in that wilderness paradise. Given that we've only really seen them the once in that original story and the once in the animated series, I'd like to believe that that's probably true too. It's, it's a nice thought. But um, it's great, again, to see Batman as a fish out of water but still be the detective the manhunter i mean this is like an episode of the fugitive made into cartoon form with batman and one of his greatest villains honestly yeah because we get the real sense of him tracking and scouting across the wilderness and we see him mountaineering and orienteering as best as work possibly can and a lot of the times we see that even for someone as skilled as batman that that hobby that uh activity is still very dangerous we mm -hmm. see him mm -hmm sort of fumble his way across the mountain edge. We see him uh, lose his footing here and there, and it's a normal thing, but still it's just showing him at his best. Is, uh, is a very interesting sort of, and a different dynamic as well, because we're used to seeing him scaling buildings, but when he says yes. stuff like, wow, people say the city's dangerous, after he 
nearly trips on a root and some of the rocks will fall away under him. We see him sort of struggle with it and struggle against not someone else that's fighting him toe-to-toe, something that's natural and something that's out of his control. So it's a extra bit of added tension that we wouldn't expect Batman to be under. It's great because taking him out of Gotham City where, of course, no one knows Gotham like Batman. He knows the positioning of every gargoyle, every flagpole, every crumbling ledge. That city is his friend. That city is his home. And it's stories like this one where you take him out of that familiar element that, again, humanises the character in much the same way like, I don't know, a classic story like cataclysm where gotham is struck by an earthquake and the buildings he used to rely upon the old sturdy skyscrapers which he knew would rely on holding his weight and landing on a safe ledge weren't safe anymore they were crumbling they'd been at the epicenter of an earthquake and his city was no longer his friend when batman is vulnerable unlike other characters where they lose their appeal i like him more because he's put under a sufficient challenge he's given a chance to grow and evolve in another way. Like, I remember the stories that led up to Nightfall when he was mm. um, going yeah. around the world trying to take down KG Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember he there was a, like a long sort of half a page where it was him on his jet looking at maps of Moscow, just trying to yes. learn it and know it and understand it so that he could actually have that Absolutely. edge in battle, so that he could have the edge as though he were fighting in Gotham City. But of course, he wouldn't necessarily be able to do that, which is why he struggled and even lost some of those early fights. But then again... When your hero or your main character is put under reasonable obstacles and challenges, that's what builds drama in a story. It's a hard thing to do for Batman, for someone as skilled as Batman is, but good writing will be able to find ways to challenge him. Absolutely. Uh, Very good writing. But again, what would you expect from two veterans of the show, Michael Reeves and Bryn Stevens? But it's great to see as well that it's heartbreaking that Croc didn't learn because that could have been a home for him. He could have settled there and walked away, but his soul, I guess, was too dark. Whereas Batman didn't look twice, didn't blink, didn't um, see the people at this settlement as, I don't know, sideshow freaks, whatever else. He saw them as human beings. And even then, he was a protector, warning them against Croc shouting look out and and saying that listen you can't be trusted he may look like one of you but honestly he isn't and great batman really great batman he's wouldn't be that uh, judgmental or prejudiced he would go in seeing people in peril because they don't understand who they're dealing with and would want to try and help and help he does we get that real sense that sure there's uh something strange out for but again like i also do really wish that Croc could have seen another side of things because yeah. he could have really found a nice and peaceful existence yes. there. But um, like he said at the end, he was just being himself and his, it is in his nature to be a bit more selfish and untrustworthy. I, I'm a sucker for a redemption story and I was hoping this might be it for Croc, but hey-ho, you can but dream. Sadly, most of Batman's villains don't get rehabilitated or turn to good and... This was clearly one of those cases, but again, Batman doesn't stop trying and bless the people of that settlement who who tried to bring Croc in. And there was a moment there when he didn't steal the money, where Billy the Seal Boy came to give him a blanket, and I thought, well, maybe he will learn, but alas, it wasn't to be. I think he may have if... Maybe if Batman hadn't shown up so early. Because he was there, yeah. Maybe maybe he was starting to Mm. turn, because he helped out with the tractor and he Mm. helped... Uh, Billy the Seal Boy get the blanket out instead of all the blankets falling down on him. 
like a little longer, maybe, but then again, that's wishful thinking. And even so, would we want Batman to be deprived of a villain this interesting, this Very physic- true. physically a threat? Like I always think back to the Arkham games where it's ne- you never fight Croc direct. Mm-hmm. You just have to mm-hmm. outrun him and just sort of dodge him when he comes at you. So yeah, um, would have made for an interesting story either way. And I have to comment on, yes, we've said Batman's a fish out of water, seeing him in daylight was jarring and stuff, but there was also an amazingly awesome Batman moment right at the beginning of the episode, just before, or just after Croc breaks free, Mm. where you think, hang on, they're transporting someone this dangerous, and Batman or Jim Gordon isn't around to oversee it. Oh, yes, he was. little faith. Of course he was there, in disguise as a cop, ripped the shirt open, bat symbol, boom, just, just so satisfying because then we get to see the other side and the other skill of Batman that we never really get to, the master mm-hmm. of disguise. We've seen glimpses in a single appearance of Matches Malone so far, which was a great satisfying yeah, moment. Absolutely. So we learned about the multi-talented nature of Batman and it serves him very well here because it was in his instincts to assume that Croc may yet escape and sure enough he was using the powerful jaw strength of the crocodile but then again i reminded you scientifically Mm. uh crocodiles have technically the strongest jaw strength of any animal because it's only downward pressure downward pressure a crocodile's jaws can bend steel wow upwards they can they can't hold more than 10 grams you could literally hold a crocodile's jaw shut with like one hand usually yeah that doesn't help the fact that there is an immense lizard yes. thrashing behind you that you would be able to keep your grip on it. But biologically, yes, you could do that. Why you would, and your name isn't Irwin, that's up to you. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, yeah, we get a great chase. We get some outstanding action, some great new characters. I mean, all round, a very satisfying little one-shot story. Yep. I find that a lot of the middle of the episode where it was just that Manhunter-esque chase... We got so much great tension with just the nature and the wilderness being an obstacle in itself. And we get just that real struggle of Batman and Croc just trying to one-up each other just to try and stall so that Croc can get ahead or that Batman can find some way across all of the tracking. And a lot of that was done without any real background music Mm -hmm. and without any dialogue. But we still felt the thrill of the chase and we still worried for Batman when we saw the trees break and the rocks crumble under him. Yeah, and the moment where he loses his background on, and he's literally just got to rely to his training, mm. his skill, and being able to climb a mountainside and escape falling boulders and all that other stuff as an athlete, as as a trainer. I mean, the Olympics really lost a good one with him, didn't they? I, I remember, again, in the Nightfall stories where he was using that technology to sort of transpose his mind into another body, mm-hmm. and he put, put into that world-class athlete. Oh, that was um, Blind Justice. Yes, God, brilliantly remembered. I forgot about that. And there was a point where a world-class athlete was there across the rooftops, and he was thinking to himself, oh, I really need to get myself healed soon. This body's already getting tired. Yeah. And this guy thinks he's in shape. <laughs> but he, but by all other standards, that character yeah. was. Yeah, Olympic athletes are the most well-trained human beings on Earth, but compared to Batman, nah. nah. because then again, Olympic athletes train for their sport or sports. Yes. Batman trains for everything. <laughs> yeah, every eventuality. Be prepared like a good Boy Scout, or like your friend the Kryptonian, who's mm. also a big Boy Scout, but we love him. So, um, yeah, great um, performances, great bits of Batman, but... Again, with an ensemble cast, my research head had to go into overdrive today. 
So let's talk about the characters and the actors who played them. So obviously, Whitby the Seal Boy, uh, Whitby the Seal Boy, Billy the Seal Boy was played by Whit or Whitby Hartford, who, again, still on stage and screen today, more on stage these days, but he's been on absolutely everything, animation, TV, movies. But for people who want to know what he looks like, um, the original Jurassic Park, if you remember at the beginning of this of the film, where um Sam Neill's character is at the archaeological dig and they bring up the uh, raptor claw. He's the kid with the raptor claw. Oh, wow. In the first Jurassic Park. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a blast from the past. Yep, and he's a man in his 40s now. Then, of course, we have Kenneth Mars, who plays um, Richard, the thespian, and the hunchback, which was a, a lovely piece of a, a tribute to, to our man, Will Shakespeare. Uh, being from TV shows like Malcolm in the Middle to legendary productions like The Producers and Young Frankenstein. But, Adam, you will know him most, and you'll recognise the voice now. As soon as I say it, he's King Triton in the Little Mermaid movies. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yes, that, that does sound right. But then again, uh, the character here is particularly similar, the grandiose mm-hmm. sort of Middle English Shakespearean into like worldly and kingly. Yeah, perfect casting. Because it would be around similar times, surely. Yeah. Little Mermaid was a bit before this. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Great casting. Um, that was your mother and I's first date to the cinema was Little Mermaid. Oh, how one. romantic. Yes, indeed. 32 years ago. <gasps> wow. Time. Okay. Then we get Jo Beth Williams, who plays May and June, the conjoined twins. And she was a teenage crush of mine. I adored this actress award-winning actress, um, one of the presidents of, of the, the Screen Actors Guild and, and things like that in the US, star of films like Poltergeist 1 and 2, TV shows like Frasier and Dexter, the classic comedy movie Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, and of course, Sylvester Stallone's cop girlfriend in Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Oh, classic. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. They very... Really is, and they can know to get veterans for all sorts of roles and casts in this book in the show. So yep, good, absolutely. But believe it or not, the, the guy with the least dialogue. But again, as soon as I tell you who he's been and what, you'll say, "Of course, I knew that voice." We have Brad Garrett, um, five-time Emmy Award nominee for Everybody Loves Raymond, playing the brother of the lead character, um, and for us, always Finding Nemo. He was bloke. Okay. He was Chef Gaston in Ratatouille. Okay. But more importantly, the voice I will never forget and the character I love dearly, Dim in The Bug's Life. The big... big. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because when you said the first two, I was just like, yes, because Pixar like to recycle certain yes, actors. absolutely. And that's absolutely okay as long as they can do range and do like a mixture of characters, which they usually do. Um, yeah. Pinnacle of voice work, which is what you want in a show like this. One of the best baritones in the business, no shadow of a doubt. So, um, I love this one, but yet again, we still have to find an episode we don't say that about because it was so different. Brand new Killer Croc story, plus a vintage nod to a classic story as well. But what were your takeaways? What was your standout moments, good, bad, or ugly from Sideshow? I just particularly loved seeing Batman at odds with nature, at odds with something he really can't fight reasonably. I like it when heroes are challenged in a particularly tough way just to see how well they'll make it out of it. And the mountaineering and exploring was a real challenge for Batman and I honestly felt for him a couple of times. I honestly thought, is he going to make it out of this? Mm. I mean, like, there's no doubt about it that he will, but there were times when he seemed 
really under it and really challenged, and that just made for great drama for me. Yes, indeed. And for me, those typical touches that make him stand out as archetypal, epic, vintage Batman. The disguise on the train. Mm. Finding a way through, never giving up. But still, at the end of the episode, putting his own body, life and limb, to rescue Croc, even though Croc was trying to kill him. And that... Yeah, that's Batman the hero to me because honestly his life would be a hell of a lot easier if he did what certain fans in air quotes keep expecting to do and want him to do and just let the villain die but hey no, 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 no. that's not, not Batman. Batman and sure enough Batman acted consistently and to his moral compass and that consistency is what unites the Batman of the now to Batman of the 40s to Batman of the 70s. Because a character, for as long as he's, as long as they've been around, is bound to change here and there. But certain things that keep them consistent in their characterization is what keeps them consistent across generations. Because if yes, they make, because if a character changes too much, they'll be like, oh, that's that's not how they would do things. Mm-hmm. That's not my Batman. I grew up with Batman from this, this time period and they wouldn't act like that. But that consistency is what keeps the character sincere and real and beloved all these decades. Absolutely. That's part of the reason you and I are Batman fans lifelong, really. You, because you're almost forced to, bless you, and, and, and thank you for that. But me, because, yeah, um, it, it, he's my jam. I, I love the guy and all his supporting cast and brilliant little stories like this one. Yep. Truly charming, truly great character moments where Batman struggles and Batman helps those just because he's that good a guy. Right, so let's move away from Billy the Seal Boy. And you, Adam, my cat child. Hello. Let's tell Gothamites everywhere where they can read and view your work and catch you on Tinternet. Tass Tinternet can find many of my things. In fact, all my content are not in print yet, except for one place. But uh, as for my upcoming and like ongoing works, you can find me reviewing multiple titles a month on Dark Knight News. Suicide Squad and Catwoman are both in excellent spots right now. But uh, for my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, you can look to Our Baby Fantastic Universes for my ramblings upon the state of card games here and there. But uh, for broader gaming, look to my articles and reviews on .gg, uh, up-and-coming news platform for all things PC gaming. And to level up your Dungeons & Dragons play, look to the Apotheosis Studios blog where I contribute many titles and supplements for your Dungeons & Dragons games as well as news out all and around the TTRPG world. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer and for your visual pleasure you can find me Dungeon Mastering Games on No Ordinary Heroes, being a player on Gilding Light and my own Let's Plays on The Hostile Atmosphere, all of which on YouTube. And do check those out, they are very cool indeed. As for myself, this show, I Am The Night, is part of the DC Comics News Podcast Network, along with the DC Comics News Podcast, weekly news every week in and around the world of DC on film, TV, comics, and merchandise. Also on Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast, and the Spinner Rack. All those shows can be found on uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, and wherever else you catch your podcasts. Dark Knight News, DC Comics News can be found across Facebook, Twitter, and all social media platforms, and of course on the internet itself. Catch me on Twitter at Elstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O, and to read my writing, just search Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes to read my news reviews, interviews across Fantastic Universes, Dark Knight News, DC Comics News, and now CBR. But until you do, his name is Adam Ray, and he is the knight. Together, we are the night, and this has been the I Am The Night podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, read more comics. And watch more Batman! Batman!